With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. I think I just blew out the speakers. Penny's reaction when we started recording there was just glorious. Oh, it was great. I, I didn't get a countdown. We're just right into it, so... Glad I wasn't uh, flipping off the camera like Draymond or anything. <laughs> I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. We are going to podcast a little bit about the Celtics and the Bucks series. We're going to podcast a little bit about that uh, Dylan Brooks foul and the Draymond Green of it all, because everyone seems to be talking about that right now. Uh, we're going to talk about the NBA draft a little bit. Uh, but first, we have to talk about Matt Penny's headphone situation, because <laughs> they are the typical headphones that he wears here. Uh, he's in the midst of a uh, treasure hunt right now for his AirPods, mm-hmm. which uh, his, his it has threatened to take him all across Boston, from what I gather. Yeah, it has. So there's a little bit of backstory. So I've been gone for the NCAA live period. I run events for the Under Armour circuit. So I've been away. And my son is three, three and a half. I, I talk about him off on the show. And um, it's at the point now where I leave. He's like, where are you going? Like, where? I'm like, I got to go to work. He's like, take me with you. So I come home. I'm like, I owe him like a day. So we went to Legoland, which is right outside of Boston. He loves it. We've been there before. And um, <clears throat> just the nature of the business, I, I brought my my AirPods just in case my pocket, right? Call comes from somebody, a coach, somebody needs something, a player, whatever. So we have a great day. We have fun. And then I get home. We pull in the driveway. And I do like the the pocket check. And I was like, oh, boy. I don't have my AirPods, which is not great. So I look in the car and then I remember I have the find my iPhone app on on my phone that my AirPods connect to. Great. So I go inside and yes, they are at Legoland. So I'm watching them for like two hours. They're not moving. At this point, my son's napping and I'm going away for the weekend with my wife because also I've been gone for two weeks and we want to spend a a few days together. So I don't have time to go to Legoland. So my, my good buddy, Kev, who lives in Somerville, where Legoland is, says, hey, I'll go check it out for you. So he goes to Legoland, and I'm like, hey, when you look around, like, can you? he's like, I'm not looking around. Find the first guy in a yellow shirt and saying, like, have you found AirPods? And he says, no, I'm out. Like, fair enough. So no dice there. I, I can see that they're there. Nobody turned them in the front desk. Um, and I didn't have time in between. So I'm like, it's kind of a roll of the dice. I hope that they're there on Monday when I come back. So before we leave, I, I pull up the iPhone app find my iphone and the headphones start moving and i'm like oh I, I hope they i hope they go to the front desk and then they leave the building so i'm watching this thing on my phone it's like a bad like 2d movie i'm like watching these things like escape they go to like two stores they cross the street i'm like oh no it's going to the train station 
So I, I'm watching my AirPods like take a train down to like downtown Boston. And uh, I, I also cued in my other friends on this. So they're getting a good kick out of it. And it stops. It finally stops. And it's like a four-way stop. And you know how sometimes it says like a general area? Like here's like a, a big circle, like a radius. It doesn't say like the exact spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And one of the places is called the Greater Boston Bigfoot Institute. So I, I text my buddies and I'm like, are, are we going to go fight Bigfoot right now for my AirPods to come back? Like, what, what's the end result here? So I have to, I have to look it up. And the Bigfoot Institute is actually this program where it, um, it's like reading and writing for inner city programs. And they do that, like that crazy name to get your attention for what I did. Um, luckily I have a, a ring of loyal friends where I say we need to do something. It, it's, it's like Jim in, in the town, like whose car are we take? I was going to say, you're literally <laughs> like Jim in, in the town right now and, in and, Boston, yeah, but, but I'm on a group. We have to go with. hurt some people at the Bigfoot <laughs> Institute. You there, can't there's, ask. There's like eight people on there and six of them were like, dude, it's over. Like those, those things are gone. And one of the buddy was like, Hey, if I have to swing by and drive by, it's like, no, we're. We're good. So they didn't move for four days. So I'm guessing somebody just got there. They were locked. Like you couldn't do it because it has my account on there. It says, please call my phone number or my email. I bet somebody just like saw the Bigfoot thing, got spooked. Threw them in the trash. So I, I bought a new pair. They were uh, they're here today. But a lot of people found some humor in that. Uh, I did. It wasn't worth a couple hundred dollars worth of humor. But it's a good story that Bigfoot technically stole my AirPods from Legoland. And we're back here in the air now. So all's well that ends well. I guess Bigfoot stole your AirPods from Legoland. That's the story that we're going. This, with this is my life. It doesn't make sense to me either. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, so the other thing you did this week was you went to the Celtics Bucks game. I did. So shout out our mutual friend who got really good seats. I would imagine, right? They were. They were great seats. Tell tell me about tell me about the experience. Tell, tell us about the ambiance of going to a Boston Celtic playoff game before uh, we Bo- uh, before we Bo- dive into the actual game. Boston's a special place. It's a special place to playoffs because uh, I we've met a couple other friends and as we walk in, I'm I'm a little bit older now. I wasn't as like juiced up with like the pregame stuff and we're we're going we you know we we pay our tickets, they they scan them. We're going like up the escalators and people are already screaming like let's go Celtics like pounding on the walls. I'm like this is like a a, a lot very early and people were um, very excited for for the game, and it was a, a crazy atmosphere, especially in the first quarter. And my one kind of like side note is that uh, G Easy, the rapper, the pop star, was there sitting courtside. And G Easy's from the Bay, so he's a, a Golden State Warriors fan. I was a little thrown off there, but he's wearing Celtic stuff. Uh, I never felt more like a peasant when I saw him change his sneakers during halftime. Like he had sneakers on, like designer sneakers, and like somebody from the back came with like a new pair and gave them to him and left. And I was like, "What is happening?" Like, so yeah. I, I I did the digging. It, it turns out uh, one of them like cracked in the heel. He was prepared for it, so somebody from the garden had like new sneakers for him. So he had that going on. Uh, Twenty thousand fans like out of their minds. The game ends. We'll get into the the meat of it right now, but the game ends and everyone hits the streets and you see everybody like coming down the escalators outside. And they break into a FU Kyrie chant. I'm like, this is it. We're, we're in Boston. This is this is what we got to yell about. It's either Yankees suck or F Kyrie. Uh, so a beautiful experience. I, I was happy to be there. I love how you describe your hometown as just a beautiful, special place. Oh, it, it is, just... man. It is. It's, it's crazy. <gasps> oh, my God. Okay. So let's talk about the game. 
The first game with the Milwaukee Bucks was kind of a nightmare for Boston, it felt like. Just nothing really went right. I thought that Boston didn't do a good enough job of creating opportunities for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to get going. It felt like during that game, the Bucks were very happy to allow their role players, the Celtics role players, to be the ones to take shots. And often they allowed like open, like wide open shots. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like Peyton Pritchard in game one just missed like three open threes. And those are shots that you trust them to make. But the same token in the playoffs, if you're going down, I think you want to go down with your dudes. Mm-hmm. And that's, it seems like what Milwaukee's idea is, is they want to stop Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And if the Celtics are going to beat them, they want Grant Williams, Peyton Pritchard, uh, et cetera, to be the ones to defeat them. In game two, though, it felt like Ime Yudoka did a better job of getting Jalen Brown like isolated on the wing or getting him the ball on the move in order to kind of you know facilitate him getting into the mid-range to get easier jumpers. And it because Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown ended up scoring 59 points in that game. Mm -hmm. It opened up everything else for the rest of the team. And those shots that the Celtics got with their role players, uh, they ended up falling in game two. Like I think that both of these games have been such heavy three point shooting variance games on both sides of the equation. Uh, You know, I think the Celtics shot like 51% better from three in game two than the Milwaukee Bucks, like some crazy number like that. And it's just interesting that this is where we're kind of going here uh, with this series. Like it feels like the whole idea of what Milwaukee is trying to do is shut off Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown and force the other guys to beat them. And in game one, the other guys didn't beat them in game two. uh, The Celtics did a better job of involving Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, but the other guys were able to beat them. Like, what was kind of your take on the game? Like, it felt like a strange kind of atmosphere, not atmosphere, but like it, it felt like the, you know, it was like a 25 point game at halftime and it's kind of over. And then uh, it, it just felt like a weird, weird game now that we have this series that we've all been looking forward to. Both of the first two games have been blowouts, one one way, one the other way. I don't really know what to do with this series now. I don't either. And, and both teams and both sides will adjust to it too. And you mentioned Tatum and Brown, like game one, I think they combined for like 29 shots and game two is 38 shots. And early, I mean, Jalen Brown was otherworldly. I mean, the footwork, the shot creation, he cooled off late, but they had built enough of a cushion at that point where it wasn't a problem. And the three point shooting, I mean, for the game, the Celtics from the field shot 48%, 47% from three. They're 20 for 43 from distance. They've taken 98 threes the last two games. That's the most of a two-game stretch since late December. And those looks, and, and uh, Grant Williams alluded to it in the post-game press conference too, the ball movement was like basketball poetry in motion. It wasn't the extra pass. It was like the extra, extra, extra pass. Like Derek White was like, nope, you're good. Peyton Pritchett hit his back. Horford jumped fake opposite. Horford had one like sneaky one like at the end of the shot clock where he hit it where it's just like 50 passes and he was wide open. And that's why you get even better looks. I mean, some of the stuff is contested game one, game two, when you have the open looks for Grant Williams, for Jalen Brown, for Jason Tatum, for Peyton Pritchard, 
those Jalen Browns six for ten from three and, and Tatum five for ten for three were a lot cleaner looks too. Where, where game yeah. one it was like they had to work for them more than they did, and the the tipping point for me was the fully actualized version of Grant Williams when he has yeah. twenty one yeah. points and five rebounds while doing his best to disrupt Giannis and. You're never going to fully stop him. It is like the corny, like you just hope to contain him, but that's what it is. And the Celtics and Grant Williams specifically showed him different looks. They gave him space. They dare him to shoot. Then, like when he did go downhill, Grant used a strong upper body, bumped him off a little bit. They were really physical. And Giannis was exhausted. He got a delay game warning in the second half where he scored it and caught the ball and just like took a deep breath and looked at the refs like, can I get a call? And, and he's a as hard of a guy to officiate anyway because he's so big and strong and the epitome of like a, a downhill driver. It's almost like sometimes when you're pulling to the driveway and you like you hit the rock wall and you go backwards and you like just go right into it again. He he doesn't have like the the left and, and some of like the crap, but he's gonna score. He's gonna get there and use his like long arms to extend. So he he worked for those points and Milwaukee tried late and that's when they chipped away at the lead with those like inverted pick and rolls when Giannis was like coming off and hoping to get a switch. So he switched on to Horford and Robert Williams used all his five fouls, but it, it just was too little too late because it was such a big hole based on the strong Celtics play of the first half. Yeah. And it's probably worth discussing Grant Williams is like an awesome development story for the Celtics. If only because this is a guy coming out that, I really liked, I think this was the draft before you and I really started podcasting together, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, did you like Grant Williams pre-draft? Uh, I liked him, but I liked him like in this range. I, I wasn't somebody who thought that, yeah, this should be like a top 10 pick. I, I thought 20 to 30. If I knew he was going to shoot like this from three, I would have been higher. But his percentages improved, and, and he has been a lot better. And there's people around Boston the first year or two, I don't know if you'd say a bust, but like, what is his role? How does he fit? Because he doesn't have this traditionally structural archetype of like, this is what a, a front court positional player is in the NBA. And when you shoot like that from three, and then you get in the crunch time of the playoffs and you're defending one of, if not the best player in the world, the way that you are, it makes sense, but you have to have a little bit of belief in it too. And it took some time to get there. I think even for the Celtics and now they're reaping the benefits of it. Yeah, like people who know my work, you know, going back years will remember that I went out to Santa Barbara. He's represented by Bill Duffy's agency. And, you know, I was lucky enough that they, you know, allowed me to come out and hang out with Grant Williams essentially for a day and watch him work out and, you know, talk to him for a while. And the the thing that just like immediately stands out with Grant is just the sheer intelligence level. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's one of just like the smartest human beings I've ever talked to. Like forget like basketball players or anything like that. Like he's just a really intelligent human. And the way that he defended Giannis last night was just a really, really intelligent way to go about it in the way that kind of you said he gave him different looks. Mm -hmm. uh, he, you know, got his body into him. He's super strong. Like the, when I talked to P3 about him, they said that like his like ability to displace uh, was like on par with like the strongest players they've had through their um, database at this point. Uh, and they have a database of like hundreds upon hundreds of NBA players that have come through there and gotten to train with them. Uh, 
I think that that level of strength is essential when you're playing a Giannis and Tedekumpo. And on top of that, he's just a really intelligent help defender. Uh, he's a really intelligent offensive player who can make passing reads. Like it's just across the board that level of like thoughtfulness, it, it just completely permeates his game in a real way. And the question was always just whether or not he was going to shoot it. And I had some doubts. Uh, he's always been an elite level worker. So I thought that like he would get to 35% off the catch basically and would be fine in the corners. I did not expect Grant Williams to be a 42% three point shooter or whatever right. the fuck he shot this year. <laughs> uh, him being like a 42% three point shooter, if he keeps this up long term, anywhere from like 40 to 42 on three to four to five attempts mm-hmm. per game while playing the defense that he's capable of. This is one of the most valuable role players in the league at that point. Yes. Like if he's doing that and he is able to defend difficult players while also sliding down to the five sometimes because of his strength, like has immense potential. Like he is easily an eight figure role player per year. Yeah. And, but you have to, and, and to what you're saying too, he, it's still like a role player. Like I wouldn't want to be a franchise yeah. where it's like, he's our number two. I, I, he works because of the I, role. I, he's I don't sort think of, I would want him as a number three or four. either. Great. I, I was trying to be nice, but my, it's the same thing with Robert Williams. And I was thinking about this during the game. We talked about it a little bit last podcast. Robert Williams had 10 points, five rebounds, five fouls. He has standing ovation when he checked out in the fourth quarter. If he was the fifth pick, and did that where he's kind of projected pre-draft and during the his his last year on campus, it would I don't want to say it'd be a failure, but you'd look at it through a different lens. So as like a role player in producing and going above that, I mean that's like the the actual value. But with free agency, you see teams have to pay more to get those guys, and they want yeah. greener pastures and be like that player. I don't know if, if Grant's that, but transitioning this to like a little bit of draft talk. Grant Williams took 103 three-pointers in three years at Tennessee. So that's yeah. why it's like hard because like how do you even project that? Because we're now creeping into the combines two weeks away. We're we're getting really close into like draft workout video season, which which I like. But like people don't miss. So you think everyone can shoot. Every year we say, well, you know what? The shot looks a lot cleaner. Like he's getting off no, his No, Willie Cauley-Stein, he's going to shoot threes, baby. But, but but again, it's like all, all these prospects, it, they look great. I mean, Robert Williams hit a 15-footer last night, and there were some tweets being like, mid-range game coming soon. Maybe, but like I don't, I'm not betting on that. So for, for Grant Williams to shoot 40-plus percent, I just never saw it coming because of the, the limited number of shots that he took. And he was still a 29% shooter over 100 attempts. And it's it's the epitome of a, yeah. a small sample size. But there wasn't like, oh, there, there's so much more here than, than what it was. And that's initially some of the hesitation in Boston where how's this guy fit as a 6'7", 240-pound non-shooting frontcourt player? Yeah, and look, like I, I understand it to an extent, right? Like Grant Williams, the signs were there that there was some upside. I didn't think that it would be this upside, to be sure, but – there were signs that he could be a reasonable three-point shooter, including like being an 82% free throw shooter when he was at Tennessee that last year. Yeah. And 
like his work ethic being elite, like his character being elite, like he's just very professional in terms of the way that he goes about his business. Uh, he's still like not, you know, taking movement threes. You know what I mean? Like he's not a, you know, three point shot generator. He is Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart and um, Derek White and Jalen Brown. Like they're generating threes for him and he's capitalizing. Like when you watch Duncan Robinson or even like Max Struess, I just have the Miami game on right now is why I'm, you know, bringing Miami up those guys. <laughs> yeah. Like those guys can generate three point shots as role players. Um, Grant Williams is never going to do that. And that's okay if he's knocking them down while also being an effective defender. Uh, it, it's interesting, man. Like I, I trying to figure out how to go about like when you, like, look, when I watch Grant Williams work out in person, like forget the, you know, workout videos or whatever. I was like, yeah, like he has upside shooting, but you know, it was not, it, w- it wasn't like, oh my God, like it's already turned. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's already turning into a 35% three point shooters rookie. And we saw that as a rookie, by the way, he missed, didn't he miss like his first 25 threes as an NBA player? Oh, it wasn't good. And then yeah, like, there, there was a running tally. Yeah, and then, you know, last year he shot 37% from three, but it took it took a bit of time, right? For him to have taken this leap is beyond what I think could have been a reasonable reasonable projection as a shooter. But I think that because there were signs that he could get to a reasonable level as a shooter and that honestly, like, I felt pretty good projecting him to get to 35, 36 from three. I still think that because he does so much, these are the guys worth investing in. Like if the three point shot is just a little bit of a ways away, but he does everything else processes the game at an exceptionally high level. I think that it goes to show how drastic the leap is in terms of what happens when you become a great shooter. Um, it's exponential in terms of what your value is as a player once you start improving as a shooter uh, because it just allows teams to keep you on the floor in important moments uh, in critical ways. Yeah, and and sort of with Grant too, I, I don't want to like get too crazy because Marcus Smart was also out, so there were kind of additional minutes and, and shots and attempts for him to yeah. have. And game one, Milwaukee blew Boston out of the water. And then game two, I didn't feel great. And Boston blew it out of the water. It, it's going to measure out too. Like it's, it's going to balance. Like I don't know if Grant Williams is going to come back and, and have 25 points in game three. I don't know if Jalen Brown's going to have 25 in the first half like like he did again. Yeah. Uh, but, Look, but Grant, the, Grant the, Williams is not going to go for 21 again. You know uh, what probably I'm, not. Like, pro- probably, probably not. not. Uh, but, it, but it helps. It helps when these guys come alive during playoff time. And then we search for – the next Grant Williams or the, the next fill in the blank, Robert Williams that slips through the cracks. And by the way, this is why I always ranked Grant Williams as like the number two prospect on the Celtics behind Jason Tatum or behind, you know, the number three guy behind Jalen Brown. Uh, whenever I was doing rookie scale rankings, it was because his game translates to being an extremely impactful player as soon as the shooting comes. Yeah. Uh, you look at the minutes he has played in the playoffs. He played 21 in the first game against Brooklyn, then 32, 33, 33, 29, 35. Yeah. And 
yeah, you can say that the 35 numbers because Marcus Smart was out, but he's continuing to make an impact in the playoffs even when he scores seven points like he did in game three against Brooklyn or eight points like he did in game one against Milwaukee. Uh, he dropped 17, though, in game two against Brooklyn. He dropped 14 in game four against Brooklyn. Like, if he if it's once every other two games where he's going for double digits and then impacting the game in a variety of other ways – it's critical. Like it's absolutely critical. And I think that I'm glad we're talking about this from a draft development standpoint, because trying to find these guys is hard. Like it is harder than what we thought. I identified Grant uh, as someone that I really liked because of the intelligence levels, but you know, there are a number of other guys that I missed on. Right. Um, we, all, we, we, we all miss. I say it all the time, but, but it, it's good because it also shows that that like uh, not a lot of people, but, some people after like pick 15 or 17, like, ah, whatever. It's just scraps. Like take whatever. Right. No, 20 to 35, 20 to 40, like has value. Sure. You're going to have some draft and stash, some wild swings from 45 to, to 60. But like, right. but like Bones Highland last year, like that's another one where I was just tired and they collectively we both liked him and, and he was a, a contributor. Like guys can yeah. be picked in that range and, and outplay their, their rankings. We've talked about Herb Jones ad nauseum. Like, like he's, exceeded any expectation i think anyone really had but that's why nba teams have really deep scouting uh reports and then depth of everything from just on the court and off the court what they think developmentally the guy can project and when you yeah. hit it makes a big difference because you're paying your, your top stars 20 25 million dollars a year but numbers four and five matter so much more when when those guys are taken out of their game or it makes it so much easier when you have to close out to grant williams and now one skip pass away you have to choose. Are you exiting out on Jason Taylor or Jalen Brown? Like pick your poison. Mm-hmm. And, and on top of it too, like trying to determine shooting upside is somewhat difficult as well. Like for instance, like look at Matisse Thibel. Like this is another guy that I kind of identified that I didn't think he was going to shoot it well. Cause I didn't like how like firm the ball came out of his hand. I thought that it was a little bit flat. And I thought that as you move back toward the NBA line from the college line, Matisse took a lot of shots basically right on the college line at Washington. And if you go back through his years at Washington, like he made a good amount of them. He's a 36% three-point shooter on four attempts per game. But you just kind of watched the shot, and I didn't love the yeah. shot mechanics. I didn't think it would work. But, you know, Matisse was really valuable for those first couple of years in the NBA. He's made all defense teams, right? So, like – that's an example of a guy that like I had in the thirties in that same draft with Grant Williams. That's the reason I bring up Matisse. Right. Uh, and didn't really love, but he's proven to be worth a, you know, twenties overall pick. Right. Yeah, he was, he was drafted by a team I'm familiar with. Yeah. But they traded that pick <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. for, didn't they but, trade that pick for Grant? Yeah. But, but it's like some of those trades too. It's like uh, the Desmond Bain thing will drive you nuts forever, but you, you have to still find your happiness and hitting your Grant Williams too. And I, I, by the way, like no disrespect to Matisse Thibel, but I would much rather have Grant Williams than Matisse Thibel. Yeah. Well, he's, moving forward. He, he's coming off a great game. I'd, I'd prefer to have him too. Well, even not coming off of a great game. Like, if you would have asked me at the end of this regular season, I would have said I'd rather have Grant Williams because Matisse Thibel is struggling to shoot, and I think it's yeah. hard to keep him on the court during playoff games. Like, we've seen that already. That, you know, the the Philadelphia 76ers desperately need more dudes that allow them to go small at times uh, against Miami, and it's hard to keep him on the floor because he just doesn't shoot well enough. 
Yeah, it uh, the, the tables turned quickly. I mean, a year ago we may have been sending something else, but some hot shooting and some development. And that's that's how we get here. Which uh, that, that and that's the beauty of the draft, and that's why I hate redrafts, and I, and I hate like a year out being like, oh, who do you take? Two or three years yeah. out, like at the first year, I get it. It's, it's a fun exercise, but that's also not reality yet either. Yeah. Okay. Let's go next to this Warriors Grizzlies series that the Grizzlies tied. Uh, last night and it feels like a weird series to me like it feels to be honest like the Warriors are outplaying them to me pretty like by a pretty substantial amount Mm -hmm. and it feels like it's going to go that way like it feels like the Warriors are going to win I respect the shit out of the Grizzlies for competing in the way that they do and John Morant has just been ridiculous Uh, I mean the 47 that he had last night was absurd. Like every single time down the court, it felt like he was going to score. Having said that, this series is now like kind of marred by these weird flagrant fouls that can keep the scene happening. Uh, That was not English, but okay. Uh, The first (laughs) game was, yeah, the first game was Draymond Green getting ejected for flagrant two against Brandon Clark that like, frankly, I don't think should have been ejection worthy. If I'm being completely honest, like but, I think it was a flagrant one. But we're supporting Draymond for immediately recording a podcast afterwards as as podcast guys. So more power to you. Uh, I guess I'm say, here's my pod. Great. Yeah. I, I thought that if he didn't try to hold up, like the fact that he tried to hold him up, it made me feel more sympathetic to what he said, but or to like what his decision-making process was there. But I also feel like it's the reason that he got ejected because it created like that weird whiplash effect. Like he shouldn't have done it basically. Like he should have just fouled the guy and that should have been it. But because like he tried to grab him after it like created this weird look. And I I still don't think he should have been ejected, but you know, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. The second game, Dylan Brooks gets ejected for, one of the dumbest fouls I think I've seen committed in a while. Uh, Gary Payton Jr. is flying in to try and go up for a layup or a dunk. And Dylan Brooks just like comes across. It looks like he's trying to contest uh, like Gary Payton, but he doesn't actually jump to contest. Like it's a fake contest and he drills Gary Payton in the head. And then Gary Payton goes down and fractures his elbow because like your reaction is to like try and land, you know, somehow. I have no idea what Dylan Brooks was thinking. Do you have any idea what Dylan Brooks was thinking doing this? I, I don't. I don't know if he had a flashback to like 80s basketball and he thought that that was like, okay. We dust off these clips of like the, the Celtics, Lakers, 76ers, Pistons all like punch each other in the head. Uh, it and was like, like I, don't, I, don't, I want to be clear too. Like, I don't think that he intentionally tried to hurt Gary Payton at all. I think it was just a dumb play. It was just, uh, it just looked from, if you look at it quick in real time, it seemed like a, a WWF clothesline. Like, I, I don't know, was he trying to block the ball? Like, he was in the air, uh, but it, it was cheap. It was a dirty foul. And it's one thing being physical, it's another doing that when a guy is floating in the air, defenseless. And this isn't like a video game or Mortal Kombat. We have a counter move right. in the air we can turn. Like, you don't, you take off, you don't where you're going. And, and that's one of like the scary falls. Well, that, that yeah, you don't like, say it. And, and for, for Gary Payton, how hard he worked to get there. Now it's just kind of like over, over like a, a, a dumb foul. And, and Steve Kerr called it out and Draymond called out and everybody called that out and said, uh, and Steve Kerr during the game, they asked him about like, oh, it was, you know, it was, it was tough. He's like, no, no, that was a cheap shot. Like, well, let's be no. abundantly clear here. 
No, I actually want to ask you about that because look, like you didn't have a 40 inch vertical leap no, like Gary Payton or Gary Payton the second does. 30. But like, you know, you've gone up for dunks in the past and I'm sure you've gotten hit in the air. Like, can you explain why that is as dangerous as it is and explain why even more so it's dangerous for Gary Payton, given that he is a 40 inch well, vertical versus your 27 inch vertical. Well, when I, when I graduated from UMass, I actually played in a, a men's league in, in Brighton, which is right outside Boston. It was basically an excuse for my friends to play a game, then drink across the street at the bar on a Thursday. But that's neither here nor there. My point is that I stopped playing because of like these situations, because you, you jump up yeah. in the air and somebody takes out your knees and it's like, for me, like I'm too old for this. I can't blow up my ACL and not go to work for a week. It's like, yeah, I got hurt in men's league. These guys are making tens of millions of dollars. And when you're you're flying, you're floating in the air, the last thing you're thinking of is is someone behind me gonna clip me somehow. You're you're just singularly focused on uh, extending and, and finishing and, and probably like landing properly. So your brain like doesn't even have time to really process biomechanically. I'm hit. How am I going to like kind of shoot, but land and not hurt myself? So it's, it's instantaneous. And, and that's like the scary part of it. And there's no way to really protect yourself when that happens during that action. Yeah. And how hard is it for you to land in those circumstances when you get clipped? Uh, I don't want to say impossible, but it, it's, it's like thinking kind of on the fly. You're, it's never going to be clean. Like you're hit. You're not going to like revert yourself back and like land on your feet. Like you're falling on your side or in your body somehow. And your initial just instinct is protect your head generally. Like I don't want to crack my head, which is, is hard to do. So you lead with your hands, your elbows, and, and that's why his elbow got cracked, I think, the way that it did. Yeah, like I saw that Charles Barkley, and like I love Charles Barkley. Like he said, like he was advising players last night, like don't land with your elbows, like just land you like on your you chest. Can't or, like, you can't even like think that way. You like, can't, can't. Yeah, but, that's like, what I was gonna say. Like I feel like that's an practice. Impossible like, all right, we're we're gonna jump in the air and just land in your chest like Superman. Like that's that's not it just can't happen. Like you don't, you you don't want to think that way too. Like the basket's ten feet high. You're going up. You're accelerating. You're taking off. You're exploding there. You're not gonna think like uh, I was hit. Like here's my parachute. Like leave my chest. Like it's that's not gonna happen. So you're kind of with me on this that Dylan Brooks like should be suspended for a game. I'd be surprised right? if he's not. Right. Like I don't. I don't think it's any way he's not suspended for at least a game. Like, I know that they have, I don't know why they, the league hasn't like announced this yet. Normally it's like the next morning, right? Or like midday. Yeah. Like they already have a ruling on it. But when's their next game? Because playoff time has been funky. The Celtics have like five days in between their next game. Yeah. I don't know why the league did that, by the way, because there's no game tomorrow now, if I remember correctly. So I believe that it's probably Saturday is their next. No, wait. No, their game three is Sunday. What the? F- <laughs> yeah, Celtics are Saturday at three thirty, my time. I don't know what time it is in Australia. I don't know what's going on there. That's weird. Um, but maybe that's why then they're taking more time because of this, essentially, um, because the schedule's off. But yeah, it just seemed like totally off. I I, I don't like I, Dylan Brooks is a tough player. Like he plays on the edge. But that was that was too far. Like that was bad. And, and like, look, like I know that Memphis fans want to try to equate, like, you know, what Dylan Brooks did to Draymond Green's history and everything like that. And like, look, like Draymond Green's done shitty stuff too. Uh, I don't think what he did in Game One was nearly as bad as what Dylan Brooks did. But 
I just like don't don't fucking drill people in the head when they're up in the air. It, it's kind of simple to me, and I'm sorry that your player should be suspended, but he should probably be suspended at the end of the day. Like don't don't fucking drill someone in the air. Like period, point blank. Especially when these guys are jumping forty inches in the air. Yeah, not great. I, I do, I do want to talk Memphis just for like thirty seconds here. And, and our yeah. guy checking darts pointed this out to me after we did the the Celtics draft build. Uh, the Grizzlies built through the draft too and, and did like a, yeah. a great job doing it uh, with, with homegrown talent per se. And even a guy like Zaire Williams last night plays twenty eight minutes, has fourteen points. Like they're they they built that way, not through three agency with with John Morant, with Aaron Jackson Jr., with Desmond Bain. Uh, so it's kind of like a, and also like one of our, our draft baby franchises that did it through this way and, and not through free agency. Well, and the way they evaluate is really smart and the way that they go about building their culture is really smart. I think I, I can't really emphasize that enough. Uh, this is a team that drafts really good people that are really competitive. And I think that that more than anything is why like, I, I frankly believe they're just straight up overmatched in the series. Like, I, I think that if Golden State is at full strength and they're at full strength, Golden State is a much better team than they are. They're more experienced. They have a bit more lineup versatility. Uh, they can play Steven Adams off the court, like slash force Memphis to not even play Steven Adams. Um, and if that happens, like you're playing Jaron down to five, which, you know, then you're playing small and Golden State's small lineup is better than your small lineup. Like it, they're overmatched, but I think that the way that they've built through tough, like physical, intelligent competitors allows you to play above your weight a little right. bit more. And once this team gets the kind of experience that it's going to get, it's going to be really tough to beat them. Like when John Morant's 26 and Jaron Jackson's 26. Which is crazy to say when he's 26. You forget sometimes when you have 47 points a playoff game, like how young he is. Like we, 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 we always hype up like Anthony Edwards being as young as he is. But sometimes like John Morant, we forget his youth as well. Yeah. No, he's incredibly young. I believe he's 23. Like he is so young still. And Jaron Jackson is younger than John Morant, if I remember correctly. So, like, these guys are going to grow and mature, and they're going to gain the experience. To me, this season for them is all about just, like, gaining experience. And then, like, Zaire Williams, by the way, like, a perfect example of the guys that they draft, right? Like, you and I thought Zaire Williams was a significant project. I love oh, yeah. the pick. The for the Grizzlies last year, because he's exactly high. what they need is like a potential shot creator that's like six foot eight on the wing who can do some stuff. But the way that they've gone about developing him into a legit defensive stopper and the way that they allowed him to play through his issues early in the year, like we're seeing right now. And again, I'm watching the 76ers heat game like the 76ers in game one. Part of the reason that they lost that game was because they had they felt like they had to play DeAndre Jordan because Paul Reed does not have enough experience being able to avoid foul trouble. And he had 5,013 minutes. You know why that happened? Because they didn't allow him to play through his mistakes early in the year, which forced them into this position now. The fact that the Grizzlies allowed Zaire Williams to play through his mistakes early in the year is a big part of why he can have a big game late in the year where when they need someone to step up or when he's rolling like and he's made a couple of shots and he's giving defensive effort and intensity, they can afford to keep him out there. 
And I think it's a credit to their front office for identifying Zaire Williams as someone that, you know, might be able to exceed his frame early in his career due to his competitiveness. And I think it's on the coaching staff as well in terms of developing Zaire throughout the year, giving him game time that was high leverage that allowed him to step up in a big moment like he did yesterday. Boom. Yeah. Well stated. Very well said. Got to get the reps on the court too during games that matter and not just like preseason or G League because now the lights are are the brightest and some guys like Zaire Williams shine and then others don't. Yeah. I, I don't really have like a strong take on the Warriors. I think that they're like, you know, them and Phoenix are the two best teams left in the NBA along with the Celtics. And I think that uh, they're on a collision course for the Western Conference Finals. And um, like, I could not be more excited to watch that series. It's going to be, be unbelievable a good to mask. see those two teams. So um, at some point, maybe I'll talk about uh, all of an NBA podcast coming over the weekend. And I'll talk about Phoenix and I'll talk about the Warriors a little bit more in depth from a basketball perspective. But end of the day, like I, I, I'm Penny and I want to talk a little bit more about development. Okay. Let's take a quick commercial break. I'm going to send out the, uh, the call. Oh, here. the bat signal. <laughs> the bat signal for mailbag questions <laughs> while we're in this break. Hopefully you guys will come through with some good ones. And uh, we'll be back. We want to talk about one more thing draft-wise, and then we'll do mailbag. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN. If you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is Offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough. 
uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. You should get to the point where it's uh, actually like the bat signal with your face on it and people just like, no, like, all right, send them in. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. We should absolutely do that. I'm in just as I talk here. And by the way, we're back. The, hey, the break has ended because Penny decided great. to end it early. I love it. <laughs> um, Penny, vamp on something while I send out the bat signal for mailbag questions. What, well, whatever you want to talk about. Have you or, seen a movie? Have you, uh, you know, gone on a mission to find your AirPods again? Like, t- tell me. Tell me whatever no, you want to talk about no, here. No mission. I, I, I guess my this is my media minute here. I, I haven't watched much beyond the first two episodes of Ozark because I was gone last weekend, and I'm excited. It's kind of gone off the rails, but I'm here for it being the last season off the rails. And uh, my DVR is pretty full right now. So when when the playoffs slow down or there's a a game, <laughs> there's five days in between games. It's actually uh, a good thing because I can watch some TV and not worry too much more about basketball as we get closer to the combine and workouts and, and all that happy stuff. Okay. The NBA draft conversation that we wanted to discuss here was where you kind of mentioned in a text to me that, you know, nobody seems to be like really moving right now. It's very quiet. We're waiting for combine invites to go yeah. out and it feels interesting. Like it doesn't feel like there are very many risers right now. Like, you know, Jake LaRavia does have some steam behind him. It feels like he's one of the names that, you know, is getting a lot of publicity probably in part due to me highlighting him in some respect, but like, it, it feels like after the shade and sharp decision to enter the draft, after, you know, uh, I'm trying to think some of these workout things that have started to leak out, there hasn't been a crazy amount of movement and it feels kind of quiet right now and, and that we're in the eye of the storm a little bit. There hasn't been a, a true dark horse guy that that shot up boards significantly yet. And I don't know if that's because the international class from like a, a star perspective hasn't been as high. Mm. And, 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 and I don't. I don't anticipate or, or know when it's going to happen. So I said to you, like Poku last year was this international man of mystery who shot up boards and, and ends up in the teens. And he wasn't like quite projected there, but there's rumblings like Oklahoma City likes him. There might be a promise. We could be jumping the gun. That might be two, three weeks away. But there hasn't been like that huge momentum shift yet where draft boards are upside down because of the intel that's out there says this guy's going way up. Penny, you're, you're really good at this. I, I got to tell you, because you, you mentioned Poku and, yeah. you know, Poku, big seven foot ball handler kind of project that might work out, might not work out. You know, we'll, we'll see what the deal is with Poku. The jury is still out. I'm still the lead evangelist of Pokuism, the belief that there is between a zero and 100% chance that Alexei Pokushevsky will be a good NBA player at some point. The guy that it feels like has some of that steam right now to me is Leonard Miller. And 
I, you and I have both watched a lot of Leonard Miller. You've seen Leonard Miller live. Yes. I am fascinated by Leonard Miller. I think the upside is very real. I'm not sure people are totally gathering how far away he is still from like being anywhere near like a viable NBA player. The the tools are real and I'll, I'll talk about the tools, but I just do kind of want to give you the floor because you've seen Leonard live and yeah. you know, I've watched now, I think like eight of his games, something like that. It, it's a fascinating skill set, but it, it it's going to take good amount of time and investment. I, I like the idea. And the concept of Leonard Miller, I watched him live three times this year, I think, with his high school team. Uh, I did not see him during the Hoop Summit week where he sort of started garnering grave reviews. And this is the guy. and He's draft eligible. He has really good size at, at 6'10", 6'11", had a, a late growth spurt. So he kept the guard skills as he became like a, a front court player. I had the hesitations like you do. He, he's still pretty upright and rigid. He's a little bit clunky off the dribble. He does rely on shooting like over the top and doesn't have like the tightest handle to create and create space. So I'm worried about how he scores within the flow of things on an NBA floor. I mean, he can be a little bit of a ball stopper on the catch where he tries to get his. And at Fort Erie, where he was this last high school season, it, it wasn't a long leash. It was no leash. He, he could do like whatever he wanted. He could leak out. He could not get back yep. on defense. It was his world. He averaged like 30 points per game. Uh, the positives are that he does have offensive versatility as a ball handler, as a cutter, as a post guy, mismatch guy. But it's still like a, a mystery. He didn't play AU basketball the year before because of wrist injury. I have him in the 40s, but I, I don't really know what to do with him. That's just sort of like, please don't miss if you hit great. But people like kind of pushing him up to like the 20s in the lottery. Like, I am not there. I'm not. Yeah. I think the appeal with Leonard Miller is almost more like trajectory based than anything. Absolutely. Like yes. he was six foot five, six foot six, something like that. Two and a half Two years, years ago. Yeah. Something like that. Um, and it, when you watch his tape, he looks like someone that is still learning how to use his body. Like it feels like he doesn't know where his limbs are supposed to go all the time. Yeah. Because he just is still growing, essentially. Like he doesn't know how to like it's like a proprioception thing where like he doesn't totally know where everything's gonna land and like how it's gonna feel when someone hits him and like how far his center of gravity has elongated upward. Like it when you watch him, it just feels like he doesn't have full control over his frame yet. Which, when you look at the touch particularly and his footwork particularly as a ball handler, there are really interesting things that he's able to do. Like the herky-jerky nature of his ball handling ability, it's almost like this weird cross to me between like Kevin Porter Jr. and Shea where he's not – is good in terms of stop start is those guys, but like the way that he keeps the ball away, the way that like he can kind of reset his feet in a really strange way while handling the ball. It is interesting to me. Uh, and he does create separation despite not being a great athlete because of that ability to kind of change paces and to decelerate particularly. 
He's bigger than those guys, which gives him a bit of an advantage. I also think he has really good touch. He has some of the worst shot prep I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, for an elite level and, and, it's, and it's like he shoots over people in mid range, but with like a set shot, it's like a little bit lower too, and, and some yeah. more of a push. And there's like a lot of movement to like get to where it is. It's not just a catch, you know, simple, simplified type movement totally. motion. I, I was waiting for like another lefty comparison because he's left handed. I thought you were going to say Lamar Odom as like a, a bigger guy because we're just that's interesting like too, but not really. But he's not that is, is why like I didn't yeah. say it like. Some of these guys, though, the way they maneuver, like, yes, he has body control, but it's still not like getting by guys. Like, there's a few possessions when I saw him on Rhode Island, it was like kind of one on one on the break. And like, he euro stepped, he covered ground, but the guy like didn't have to move the defender because it, it it's like he didn't throw him off his pace. Like, you did your move, but it was still like too heavy feet to, to get there. And I was yeah. sitting with NBA scouts, and I, like, in, unless this totally like changed the last week with, with the hoops on it. It was lukewarm. It was, yeah, great. There's some stuff there that we like, but he's uh, a ways away from where we think he would need to be to be drafted by us. Now, it just takes one. Like, one team just has to fall in love with the idea of him more than the the player that he is right now. I don't know how high that number would be for me, though. In regard to, like, the shot prep and the shooting, though, for someone who completely and utterly changes his mechanics every time that he shoots. Right. It feels like, like every shot it feels like is a snowflake with his mechanics. <laughs> like it's unique. Yeah. I like that. I was like, where are we going? This is, uh, <laughs> this is like He's, a political line for you. Yeah. <laughs> he makes more of them than he should. And I think he has great touch. Like, I think he really has very, good touch and like he has that little floater game that's interesting and it makes me think that as he works out with people if he can get with the right trainer that could be really beneficial for him i think that there is a world where he can be a great terrific scorer and shooter right um He's a long way away from it, though, because his handle is way all over the place. There are some passes he makes because, like, Fort Erie just allowed him to do whatever the fuck he wanted to do, where you're just like, oh, my God, like, how did you even? Yeah, I mean, it's a a negative assist to turnover ratio, and I think it got, like, better in in our other stats, but it was – I I didn't see a game that I saw where he had more assists than turnovers. It was all – and some of those turnovers, like you mentioned – we're like, whoa, buddy, turnovers. Like, I don't know what the the idea was with that pass. I, I don't know right. what you it, thought the, the end result would be. It wasn't like, oh, it's reverse when a guy jumped the lane. It's it's something crazy cross court off, off one foot and sails out of and bounds. I, and I've seen some ahead. people talk about the passing as like a real strength. And I, I think that it can be a real strength. Like his vision and the way that he sees the court is really good, I think. Mm-hmm. It's more that whenever you like get into his space – and speed him up, the decision-making tree goes out the window, kind of. And by the way, like we haven't gotten to his defense yet. He's one of the worst defenders in this class right now. uh, Yes, but but it's also hard because that's like the no leash when when he's able to do whatever. I I think that he could be based on size, but without the accountability to do that, he just wanted to leak out. He just wanted to get out in transition, make a play. Yeah, He would would reach in. He'd reach yeah. in and like wouldn't recover. He'd reach in and be like, okay, miss a shot so I can like go and do my thing. 
And then he'd get up and he'd dunk or they, they'd throw an alley-oop to him. So he just was like so offensively driven that I don't think his brain was in the space to think about playing too much defense in the half court. Yeah, like the defense on tape is horrible. Like it, it was effort-based. Like it was just he was not asked to do it really it looked like in any capacity in, in some vein like that's actually a really difficult evaluation then like given that the effort just was not there also though like it makes for okay like can we really expect him to be a good defender no i, I don't think you can uh but is there a chance that he could be one day yeah for sure i think that's accurate the number one thing that worries me is something you alluded to i don't think he has any burst right now right is kind of the concern. Like he doesn't play with any power because he's really skinny and his body is elongated and he's still working his way into his frame. I think that's how he's going to have to win more than like the burst and like the ability to blow by guys. He is no real athletic, like go. If I was him in terms of, my decision tree for this draft to take from what I just said, I would basically be looking for a first round promise or I would go and do something else. I would Mm -hmm. either go to uh, the G league ignite. Like I I think that there is like a real consideration there from what I gather from his announcements so far that he's considering the G league ignite. I would consider the college route. I would probably do the professional route as opposed to the college route just because his game right now, if you put him into a college game with the way that college coaches often struggle with spacing, I can see that not going great. Uh, and it would be contextual that would like create more questions about him as opposed to like it being a disaster like for him necessarily it could be a disaster for him if he averages like eight points a game or whatever and doesn't shoot well because he's still working his way into a shot but like i I think that everything about like the ignite or overtime elite that sounds more appealing to me for him i would withdraw from the draft do one of those two routes if i didn't get a first round guarantee if i was him and it's a more nba type game where it'll still be angles it'll still be mid post and like you said you're gonna see more double teams and weird traps in college where if a spaced out floor and you play for the g league ignite and every g league team averages 125 points per game if you average 11 there it looks better than eight or nine at the college level and people start asking questions but he has the size he does have some ability Uh, i'm intrigued by those sort of still guard handle shot creation stuff but he's he's a ways away. I, you can't take him thinking he's going to make any type of impact on an NBA floor this season. Or no, it, it, it's absolutely in every single way a project. Like you are, you have to write off year one if you take Leonard Miller. Much in the way that to bring this back full circle, Oklahoma City just had to purely write off Poku okay. year yeah. one. I still love Poku, and I'm still intrigued by Leonard Miller long term. Like, I think that it could be real. Like, he could really develop into something absolutely fantastic. I just don't. I, I worry a little bit more about the physical tools than I think other people do. I think I'm probably going to end up with him just a little bit higher than where you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I currently have him at like 45. To yeah, be real with it, there. like, 
I just needed to put him somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know like how to contextualize him against the class at this stage. I, I want to see him at the combine. I want to see him like a couple other times. Like I, I, I want to, I've watched a lot of his games, It, but you watch those Ontario scholastic basketball association program yeah. or like games. And it's just like, this is not real. He is <laughs> six foot 10 and he is, you know, consistently guarded by guys somewhere between six foot four and six foot seven that just can't bother him in and, any way. And those are the lessons we've learned from Poku. We, we've learned that, yeah, probably don't take him 18th or 16th or wherever he was. <laughs> take him a little bit later. We watched those videos of him playing in like a hockey rink that has like a basketball court down and he looked like Matthew him Johnson. playing the, the Greek second real. league, <laughs> the Greek second league where guys looked like they were smoking half of a pack at halftime and then coming yeah, back. Where, out where like the, the coach of the other team like shows up with a bag of jerseys is like five guys in the stands like throw this on. You're playing today. Like that guy's seven two, whatever you're playing, like oh, throw a cigarette. God. Uh, so your level of competition matters too. Unbelievable. Okay, mailbag time, Penny. Let's do this. Not prep. All right. I'm just going from the bottom here. Talk about Aminu Muhammad and whether he should go pro. So our boy over at Rookie Scale, John Chipkevich, he he, uh, reported that Aminu Muhammad got a combine invite, which I think is reasonable, like in every capacity. And, and Um, and, And to be clear here, how many combine invitations actually go up? Uh, to start 60, and yeah, so. John reported that very early, which makes me think he got one of the initial combine invites. Yeah, so so enough NBA That's, that's feedback. speculative on my part, though, based sure. on timing. But just based on the speculation, there's enough feedback from NBA circles that he's warranted a, of at least being evaluated as one of the top 60 guys-ish, right? Like knowing that the top 10 sure. guys aren't going to work out. They'll just maybe measurements and medical and call it a day. Yep. What do you think he should do? I mean, what are, what are my options here? I didn't think he was ready. I don't think the shooting was, was anywhere close where it needed to be. We spotlighted him. I, I think I'd had him as prospect a week early in the season as a freshman that, yep. that wasn't getting much attention. But when your team goes, Oh, in 19 in the big East, uh, there's questions about his shooting. I like his defense. I, I like kind of like the way he creates and the physical smash mouth type of basketball. That's not like easily translatable to the NBA. I can see a, a world where it works, but I don't, I don't think that he's ready yet. And I, I don't, I could be way off here. I, I don't see like a, a first round guarantee either. So if he's okay with saying, I just want to start my pro career. If I get picked in the second round and make my way into a roster. Great. A lot of uncertainty there though. Yeah, I don't think he's anywhere near ready to impact the game offensively at the NBA level. I do think his energy, his rebounding, his defensive ability could impact an NBA game. Um, I don't think that it will impact the game more than his offensive side will like negatively impact an NBA team. So I think he's a G League player. Exactly. Right now. It's, it's, it's screaming G League at us. Yeah, I, I think he's a two-way guy. Uh, and basically he'll have to decide on do I take a two-way deal or do I try and get Georgetown to give me an NIL deal uh, that will you know, approximate that and I develop at Georgetown for another year and go from there. Uh, in terms of what I think he should do, I think that it would be beneficial for him to go back to Georgetown as long as he gets an NIL deal that is you know, somewhere in the ballpark of uh, like – maybe not even what he'll get with a two-way, but like 
where he's at least like getting some sort of financial. Yeah, don't don't put a number on it. I don't want people like aggregating this and saying like this is what what the market is. The market's already upside down. Whatever he's going to get, like like go get it. Yeah. Uh, okay. We actually re- weirdly got a lot of Leonard Miller questions, so I'm uh, glad that check check those all off. People are screaming yeah, about that last we... last week too, saying, "Can you do a whole podcast on Leonard Miller?" Yeah. Segment. Uh, okay. From Trevor Zickgraf, is Jeremy Sohan going to be able to credibly space the floor? If not, how limited is his offensive ceiling? Ooh, that's a, that's good a one. really good question. It, by the it, way. it is. Because I think his offensive ceiling is beyond just the shooting. I don't think the shooting is like be all end all. I do think it's going to get credible. I don't think we'll be talking about him like we just did for Grant Williams for twenty minutes. But I I think it'll be serviceable. I do. But he also has more sort of like creation stuff out of isolation, more stuff out of the mid post. It showed he has some handle to take guys off the bounce. So I don't want to say it's like just the jumper. It's not as high of a level prospect. I think I have him as a, a back end lottery guy. If the yeah. shot was real, we're, we're to me you're talking about like a top eight or nine guy. But for him not there yet, that's why I've I've hedged a little bit. But I, I'd still feel comfortable taking him in, in the teens. Look, I mean there there aren't a lot of like great signs that Jeremy Sohan is going to be a like very real shooter at some point, right? Um, I, I really like him. I like everything else he brings to the table. Uh, he is someone that can handle the ball. He can act as a screener or he can act as a uh, ball handler in screen and rolls. He can act as like a, a weak side, you know, bailout option where he can take a kick out and try and score out of isolation. Like he can play center and like weirdly handle minutes there because he's strong enough to do it. Like he is awesome. I think. And the kind of guy that I am willing to bet on is a versatile chess piece that is going to be dependent on shooting. The question is 100% right. But if the shooting comes, the rest of the game scales upward so drastically that I think it's worth the gamble on the shooting coming, basically. Yeah, that's sort of where I'm at, too. Yeah. Uh, to, to answer the question, though, uh, is Jeremy Sewing going to be able to credibly space the floor? I, I don't have a great answer on that. Yeah. I think he has a chance to do it off the catch. I don't think he's going to do it off a of movement. Like, do I think he can be like a pull up scorer? I mean, there's nothing in his past that says he's going to be like an awesome pull up scorer or anything. But as a player off the catch, I think there's a chance he could do it off the catch. Uh, if he doesn't shoot it, how limited is the offensive ceiling? I don't know. Like, you know, can probably stay on the floor in like the dunker spot can, mm-hmm. you know, y- you kind of need him to be able to knock down catch and shoots on some level. I feel like it do. He, he can also take it off the rim and, and push it up and transition too. he doesn't have to get rid of it. So he can create some too when, when the game's like spaced out. Yeah. Okay. Actually, weirdly, a lot of Jeremy Sohan questions today too. Uh, I am a big fan though. I think the rest of his game scales very quickly if he shoots it. And because of that, like if he shoots it, he's definitely an NBA starter, like no questions asked. So I would take him in the lottery. And I think he's a really good starter if he ends up being able to shoot it at like a 36% clip. Okay. Uh, if Max Christie stays in the draft, is there a chance someone takes a reach on the potential and what's the highest that would happen? That is from NATO Jacobs. Yes, but it would be late. It would be. It was the question in the first round or how high? 
I think that like let, let's ballpark it at first round. Yeah, that's fine. It would if I were just without knowing definitively, I'd say probably the twenty six to thirty range. He he needs time. He he's another guy that needs reps. I'd like for him to go back to school. If he doesn't have a first round promise, that's what I would encourage him to do. Yeah. Agree. Like yeah. I, I don't really have anything else to say about that. Uh, I think there's a chance he goes in the first. I think there's a chance I end up with him as a top 30 guy, depending on what other guys do. And if they stay in the draft, don't go in the draft. Um, I, I really buy it as soon as the shooting comes along. And I do think he is going to shoot it at some point. Uh, I it, do. The shot looks great. There's no, no concern there, really. From Draft Deeper, our friend Nathan. Oh, Nathan. Is it realistic that we may look back and see Kevin McCuller as one of the top 30 players in this class really feel like it could happen? Draft Deeper loves them some Kevin McCuller. I actually really like Kevin McCuller, too. I, I thought it was weird yeah. that, like, hey, I'm on in the draft. But if not, maybe Gonzaga, maybe Kansas. So this has been, like, a, a another weird, like, transfer portal nil story. I do think yeah. he can do more offensively than he showed at Texas Tech, and that was sort of, like, scheme-based. I have to see more of it. Top 30, yeah, possible, but I, I think I have him like 60th right now, so there'd have to be some from jumps for him to make. Yeah, I mean, look, if he learns – the answer is could we look back on him and he could be a top 30 guy? Yes, if he learns to shoot, he could be that. Like if he becomes a 38% three-point shooter in the NBA, he probably is a top 30 guy in the class because the defense is as good as it is, like just straight up. Like he's – what one of the five best perimeter defenders in this class? Like, I, I think I'd probably take Dyson Daniels over him. I don't know if like anyone else immediately springs to mind. No, uh, somebody yelled at me about who I was missing last time for for a defender, but the shooting is is the swing skill. And yeah. uh, despite work ethic, sometimes like the jumper just like doesn't come around. Which is answer about Jeremy Sohan. Grant Williams figured it out, so it, it could yes, but it's it's a major what if too. Okay. From Michael Roth, it seems like a lot of high major teams are loading up their rosters and looking deeper than ever. Uh, is this going to be the norm with the transfer portal or will players realize that somebody has to be the 10th or 11th man on the team? Uh, he said he points to Ohio State's roster as a perfect example of that. I don't look, I've, you know, looked a lot at Ohio State uh, in their roster as someone who went to Ohio State. I don't. I don't know that the transfer additions they made are that weird, I guess. If you consider Isaac Likely, who I think committed today, didn't he? Did I see he that? Did. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Like he they need defense so desperately that like getting Isaac Likely who can guard one through five, like that's an enormous get for them. And like he won't be a tenth or eleventh man. Um do I think this is the norm? Yes. I think yeah. that the transfer portal from here on out is the norm. Period. I do too. And, and yes, there, there will be minute crunches certain places, but the, the blue bloods, the higher level schools, the PL is always going to be there for a kid that transfers that averages 15 a game at, at a mid major to, to go play there at, at the biggest place that they can go. Uh, does some people learn and, and say, I don't want to go be the ninth guy there. I can be the second guy at a, a high major minus type school. Probably. Unless you have like the right people in your ear telling you not to do that, though, you're always just going to have that title pull to to go to those types of places. So I, I do think the transfer portal is the norm. I, I also do want to say that there's going to come a point in time where colleges 
reestablish like actually recruiting high school kids. There's a lot of high school kids falling through like the cracks yeah. right now who are better than the recruiting level. Because when you talk to college coaches, what do you need? I need a big. Okay, here here's the name of, of five high school guys. That ah, coach wants to transfer. He wants to get a little bit older. And I understand it. So you take a, a 23-year-old who averaged six and four at, at a low major because you want him for a mid. It's not like as much of a time to get there. But when these high school kids eventually start like panning out and you look back at like the data and the history of it and some of those transfers like don't hit, we'll, we'll see like a, a shift back. Long story short, transfer portal is not going anywhere. I, I think recruiting will continue to evolve, but the transfer portal is, is definitely here to stay. I agree. Um, this is from Anamani Black. Uh, do you think Ayala out of Maryland's getting drafted? I, I don't really care about that. Uh, no, he's not getting drafted. Um, if you're a middling NBA team, would you rather stay in this draft or trade out for a slightly better pick in the next draft? That's the question I actually like in this one. Um, I am. So we're middling. What, what what range do we say is middling then? I want to be clear with that too. Yeah. So like, I think that he's asking like in the, t- let's say 10 to 20 range. That's the middle, you know, yes, I would trade out of this draft if I was anywhere from 16 on downward, essentially, uh, and try to pick up future picks. I would, unless, unless you see the guy and it's the, the Max Christie, it's the Peyton Watson, it's the Bryce McGowan's who you think in a year is going to go seven, eight, nine, ten. If I'm sitting at 18 right now and say, let's reach a little bit. And this is like the same thing. We don't have to give up an asset to go forward in a year. Then, then I would stay on it, but that that's very team specific. And I, I wouldn't say here's just like a blanket statement for everybody. Yep. Uh, from Ben Carey, of all of the great college bigs that won't be picked in this draft, so he lists Drew Timmy, Oscar Shibway, Kofi Coburn, Armando Baycott, David McCormick. I think you could probably throw Hunter Dickinson, you know, uh, a bunch of those guys in, right? So the true college bigs. Mm-hmm. Who is your pick to have the best NBA career out of that group? That group, I'd say Oscar Shibway. Oscar Shibway would be drafted if, if he was in this draft. I, I, I feel pretty confidently about that. The, there's still the, the issues about defending in space and the advancement of his offensive game, but rebounding always translates. And of that crew, I, I'd bet on him to kind of like develop the most and become the, the best of that crew. I think I agree with you on Oscar. If he improves defense, like the, the things with Oscar that he just needs to improve on are defensive positioning and mobility a little bit. I think that both of those things are doable within the next year for him. It would probably help him to lose just like a little bit of weight and like just kind of thin out a little bit to try and improve that lateral agility a little bit more. His positioning though is stuff that like is coachable and fixable. And I think that you can probably make that work on top of that, just the effort and energy and intensity. I think that would be my bet as well. Um, From good friend of the program, Eric Weiss uh, thoughts on Tyrese Maxey, where you had him mocked, what he's improved on. What did you miss? We missed the NCAA tournament that he didn't play in. I don't even know where I had. I think I had him like 20s. It was not high. I'm not one of these revisions. said like, yeah, I had him seventh. 
yeah him be able to to come in and and shoot and also like fit next to the the stars around him was the the biggest thing for me and the guy has stones like he, he's unafraid out there you, you can see yeah. now like he's even like chirping back at guys on his own team and, and that stuff sticks out when you're actually scoring and playing well too so yeah, I don't know if I, I missed Tyrese... it just because I like I undersold it and I I didn't think of the whole like Kentucky guard lineage and he'll outperform it and just probably overthought it. Yeah, I had Tyree somewhere between twelve and fourteen off the top of my head. I know I had him as a lottery guy. Um, thought he was way underdrafted. Uh, I thought the seventy sixers got an enormous steal. What did I miss on? Probably, I missed a little bit on the burst. I think that he has a little bit more speed than what I thought mm-hmm. playing at Kentucky. Uh, and I saw him play for RM5. Like I, I've seen Tyrese a lot. And I always thought not like a crazy athlete, like a good athlete. Yeah, that's, not that's, a like good, a, that's a good point. Not a fast athlete. Um, like he never really played with the kind of speed that he plays with now in the NBA. I think that's probably what I missed on. He would go in the top 10 for sure, but I, I've always liked Tyrese quite a bit um, due to the natural touch. And I've always, you know, just kind of, he, he's always been one of the guys that I bet on at the end of the day. Yeah. And not, and not like the, the absolute wow, like ability too. And that's why we have to watch some more of like the nuance stuff too, because he's always effective, but not like uh, this world end to end speed, like a guy like Kyra Lewis or, or Kennedy Chandler or somebody like that. But, but yeah, he can knock down jumpers and can read pick and rolls and manipulate screens, and, and that's been a, a sticking point for him. Yeah. Okay, last question here from Sean. What late first-round guy do you think we'll look back on in five minutes as five the minutes? person who's made the biggest <laughs> impact in five years? Oh, uh, pass. Who, who do you, I'm pulling up my board here behind yeah, me yeah, in, yeah. in okay. another window. So who, who's your call off the top of your head? Um, late first round guy, I will say I, I'm going to just go to the mat for Jalen Williams. I think that's my guy this year. Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara. Yeah, I, I think Jalen Williams is a good one. Are, are we just like, I don't know. It, it just feels like maybe he's like sort of like the dark horse that's rising that we were like alluding to earlier where we just, he was like the name that was always there that, that people pushed up. Uh, Maybe he talked about last last pod, but like Daylon Terry, if he goes like stays yeah. in draft and goes 28, 29, like that would be a good one. I think that's like probably my name. Like a lot of these guys just have like holes or, or questions. Like I, I liked Terquavion Smith, but he needed to learn how to play within like a, a team structure, like can really score it, but he, he's really skin, skinny. And how does that work in, at the NBA? So I'd bet on. Dale and Terry or one of these freshmen that haven't shown it, but you hope they get the right place in the developmental system. And we say, yeah, Peyton Watson was good enough, but he just didn't play on a, a final four returning team. Okay. Penny, uh, any, any last call outs? I, I've had a couple of people bring up the fact to me that the, uh, the Malachi effect guy this year, <laughs> his name is actually Malachi. I know it's it's wild uh, that I, I thought of that like in the tournament. I, I thought I, I tweeted it too. That was not done intentionally, but sometimes that happens. But I I, I, I want to say this. I, I do want to go to the bat for Malachi Branham for a second here. Yeah, it was like half the year. It wasn't just like hey he he roasted who they play Loyola Chicago and then um, Villanova right. 
Like he had done yeah. this for two months. So it's like a longer extended Malachi effect, but definitely a different one. So the theory is probably evolving as we talk about this too. Okay. Um, let's, let's see here. Any, anything else you want to talk about? I've, I feel like I haven't seen a crazy number of movies. I did see, have I talked to you? Have I talked to you about everything everywhere all at once? Did we talk about that? You, on the you, last you did. And I actually watched the trailer. Uh, with my with my wife two days ago, and she's like, I don't know if this is for me, but I'm like, I don't <laughs> Jackie, get she's yeah. like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know either. And every like ten seconds was something else, like Stranger. Uh, that was the one with like the crazy, like weird boss, and they're in like another dimension, right? It's yeah. The fact that you said other dimension uh, is a good good one. Yeah. It's I mean that's like the preview they show it. it's it's different worlds. Uh I, I will I'll, I'll get there eventually, but not uh it's not at the top of the list. We gotta empty out a, a bunch of TV shows first. Okay. I think that's all that I've got. I'm trying to think, what have Laura and I been watching? I don't even know right now, to be honest. Like it feels like I have not really I, I've been abdicating my duties, Penny. That's it. Oh, 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 I know what Uh-oh. I watched. Have you have you watched Ambulance yet? No, I haven't watched Ambulance. Yeah, I saw you tweeted about it. You wanted to like see it again. Was it as bad as I thought it would be? Is it beyond cheap thrills? If it's just cheap thrills, that's fine. Uh, I'm a how, how fast dare furious, you? that's fine, but <laughs> Ambulance is one of my favorite movies I've seen in a long time. I feel like you say that every podcast. <laughs> it's so good. It's so fun. Jake Gyllenhaal is off his face in that movie. Yeah, like Michael Bay. So whoever showed Michael Dr- Michael Bay how to use drones, we need to give <laughs> that person every single award. We need to give that person every single everything. Michael Bay using drones. He like flies a drone under an ambulance at one point. I it's, mean, the movie's called Ambulance. You got to do it. But uh, I, like when I see that title, do you think it was like a more of a working title? And somebody's like, let's simplify it. Let's not over. Let's ambulance. Keep it like really straightforward. People know where we're going at. Like this is the the focal point of the movie is like in the ambulance. Uh, I am so fascinated by the entire thing. To be honest, like I, I, I love, I, I love the movie. I, I loved it. Go watch it, please. Like seriously, homework. You will have the best time oh, watching. Is it movies. streaming, or do I have to like go and go to a theater? Theater. You can. Happen. You'll have to pay for it. It's That's like fine. if it's streaming, I'll I'll figure that out. That could be like a, a Celtics play. What uh, I think Celtics play Saturday afternoon, so that could be a Saturday night watch. Yeah, or like a Friday night watch because I don't or tomorrow night even because there's no basketball tomorrow night. Yeah, that's true. So ambulance. That's the move. <laughs> what are we watching tonight? Ambulance. All right, great. We're watching Ambulance, Jackie. Yeah. Get over it. She will. <laughs> okay, Penny, tell the people where they can find your work. Uh, find my work. Find my tweets, Matt underscore Penny, and, and probably back here again next week in, uh, in high definition living room. Okay. Uh, I am in the middle of, like, draft guide stuff like crazy so i don't know how much i will have written like i have a couple of stories i'm doing with some of our great beat writers over at the athletic uh so go check those out when they come out that's all i've got though until next time we will talk soon 